السلام عليك زين الأنبياء السلام على بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين حمدا يليق بجلال وجهه وعظيم سلطانه اللهم صل وسلم وبارك وكرم على عبدك المصطفى سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين وأصحابه الأكرمين ومن تبعهم بإحسان وهدى إلى يوم الدين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا متقبلا يا أرحم الراحمين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي Alhamdulillah, so we are now uh, in the fourth session of this weekend retreat uh, titled The Restoration of Religious Terminology. The Restoration of Religious Terminology. And for those who might be following along in the Arabic, the Dar al-Minhaj edition, uh, it's on page 120. So here Imam al-Ghazali, as you can see, sort of the, the framework that Imam al-Ghazali has uh, established uh, in the Book of Knowledge, and it's something that you're going to see, inshallah, throughout the Ihya Ulum al Deen. Uh, here, Imam al Ghazali is talking about the way that religious terms related to knowledge, particularly in his time, but we can see correlations even in our times today, how they have been misused and that they have been taken from their origins and started to be used specifically in ways that lost the, uh, the honor of the original meaning. So Imam al-Ghazali wants to restore it to its original meaning, and you'll see that he continuously emphasizes going back to the way that the Prophet وسلم, the Qur'an and the Prophet وسلم, and the companions and the Salaf al-Salih understood these terms. Now, it's also important to realize that Imam al-Ghazali is not limiting though these words that we're going to look at to only those meanings. But he's saying that the, that's the origin and the source. And when these words are used in ways that contradict their origin, then we have a problem. When they're used in ways that go against the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the way of the companions and the pious predecessors, then there is a disconnect between the reality of those noble meanings and the way that those words are used. So Imam al-Ghazali says, اعلم أن منشأ التباس العلوم المذمومة بالعلوم الشرعية تحريف الأسامي so that the way that blameworthy sciences started to affect or actually be mistaken as sacred knowledge and shari knowledge is because people have taken these uh, praiseworthy names and changed them. And that they changed the meanings for these ulterior motives, these corrupt motives that they had that changed the meanings that the Salaf al-Salih used, the pious predecessors used for these words, and the first generation. And you have in your outline 
these five alfaz al-fiqh fiqh ilm tawheed tadhkir and hikmah right and we've translated some of those but imam al-ghazali is really going to give us the basis of the understanding of these five words fiqh ilm tawheed tadhkir and hikmah so he says these are praiseworthy names these are beautiful names they have noble meanings and they are related to the religion. But now they've been used for uh, blameworthy meanings. So people's hearts are repulsed from those who use these words. Oh, this is a person of fiqh, right? So even in today's world, we can relate that to some of the ways that uh, the extremes that people have uh, manifested in teaching about the religion or talking about the religion. You know, even I remember as a child, there are no more, there, there is no more a noble term than saying the Quran or the Sunnah. I remember as a child growing up, Quran and Sunnah, Quran, to the point where as a young person, it's one of those Quran and Sunnah people. There's more, there is no more noble term than the Quran and the Sunnah, but because it was misused. So even those pure and beautiful sources in people's minds, when they're misused, people can associate the wrong meanings with those things. So that's what Imam al-Ghazali is talking about here. Then we have to go. And as Shaykh Yahya was saying in the last session, that, uh, a person can only really make a judgment about something based on their perception and understanding of that thing. So knowledge, that's why knowledge is so important. So the knowledge of what these things really are, as opposed to the way that they're used, is very important. Okay. So he says, right? So then he talks about this word fiqh, which we, we use for jurisprudence or the science of the sharia the science of the outward rulings and commandments of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but then particularly in imam al-ghazali's time and this is a danger even in kind of more uh as as sheikh Yahya was saying people who kind of like these mental acrobatics people who like to use knowledge as a way of argumentation or showing what one has read. Oh, actually, I read in this, you know, very obscure book that so-and-so said such and such about this ruling. But how beneficial is that really in your akhirah? Are you going to think about that ruling in your grave? Are you going to think about that, what you read? And if a person read it, have you implemented it? Have you used it as a means to draw closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So he says that people use this to talk about you know, either they've used fiqh to talk about knowing very obscure and strange rulings related to fatwa. Right. So they've taken it from its original meaning to talk about very specific, academic, uh, obscure things. And you see, actually, in academia, people love that. They love to find this very obscure point and focus on it 
And, uh, you know, if you talk about other things, then people will say, well, you know, that's that's the general level understanding, but going very deep. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but when it takes people away from the asl, it is right. When it's used as this is how I am a person of knowledge, then it's a problem. So then uh, they say when a person goes deeper into those obscure things, right, and فَمَنْ كَانَ أَشَدَّ عَمُّقًا فِيهَا وَأَكْثَرَ اشْتِغَالًا بِهَا يُقَالْ هُوَ الْأَفْقَهَ So whoever goes deeper into those, you know, very obscure and strange rulings of tertiary matters, they say, oh, that person has more fiqh. They've seen all of these different uh, positions on these these various rulings and so forth. That person is afqah. He has more fiqh than others. And then Imam al-Ghazali says, In the first generations, so Imam al-Ghazali, even in ilm tariq al-akhirah, he's bringing it back to the origin. The great ulama were people who preserved and renewed people's connection to the origin in a way that was appropriate for their time and circumstances and understandings and the challenges that they faced. So he says the word fiqh in the first generations was used for people who were knowledgeable of the way to the hereafter. And whoever had more knowledge of what brings you closer to Allah and is of benefit in the hereafter, this is the one who has more fiqh. This is the one who is more knowledgeable. And he then goes on. And knowing the very fine points of the uh, dangers of the nafs, having an intricate knowledge of the nafs and the dangers and the pitfalls, and those things that ruin your good deeds, such as ostentation, being able to understand that, identify that, articulate that, know the proper remedy, put that into practice. And they had a, a, a power, they had a strength in their understanding and their perception, their realization of the uh, baseness, the, the, the blameworthiness of the dunya that it's not valuable, that it's not greater than the akhirah, that the dunya, it's temporary, it's the lowest of uh, the, the, the worlds, and that it's a means for the hereafter. It's not to be sought in and of itself. And they had an intense understanding and desire for the blessings of the hereafter. And that fear had overtaken their hearts of falling into things that are displeasing to Allah, of the, re the realities of the hereafter. And when we look at the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there are verses of fear and there are verses of hope and mercy. And the human being benefits from both of those in different ways. Right? So these are the people. In reality, this is the faqih. This is the person of fiqh. Right. 
This is the verse that we talked about in session number two that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says when a group of people go out fighting in the way of Allah, that there remain a group behind so that they can gain an understanding in religion. And what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say in the verse? And that they warn their people. Imam al-Ghazali is using this to indicate that there's a relationship between fiqh, and then what? So that they can warn their people. So that they tell them of the reality of the hereafter. They warn them of the pitfalls of the dunya and the nufus and so forth. And fear has overtaken their hearts in a way that distances them from that which is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Imam al-Ghazali, he says, So then Imam al-Ghazali is now critiquing this going into the fine points of fatwa again. And he says, So whatever is warning people and evoking within them the sense of fear so that they turn away from those things that harm them and return to Allah, this is fiqh. دون تفريعات الطلاق والعتاق واللعان والسلام والإجارة and it's not you know divorce and the rulings related to uh, all of these areas of interactional law you know relationships marriage and divorce and freeing people in business and so forth فذلك لا يحصل به إنذار ولا تخويف that yes those rulings are important but that's not the fiqh that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about in the Quran that awakens people's hearts. Those are rulings that are important. Imam al-Ghazali is going to emphasize that. I'm not saying that this is in and of itself something that is bad. But when people think that that's knowledge and they forget about the knowledge of Allah, then there's a problem. So then Imam al-Ghazali says, فَذَلِكَ لَا يَحْصُلُ بِهِ إِنْذَارٌ وَلَا تَخْوِيفٌ بَلِ التَّجَرُّدِ لَهُ عَلَى الدَّوَامِ يُقَسِّ الْقَلْبِ and if a person only focuses on these matters, it hardens their heart. And it removes fear of Allah from them, as you see many of the people who are uh, exclusively focused on that area today. You see that among them. And you see people who become just so absorbed in that particular area. When's the last time that they cried? I remember hearing from Sayyid al-Habir Umar uh, speaking to a group of scholars. And he said, whichever one of us cried last night before Allah on behalf of the ummah is the one who is of most benefit for the ummah. It's not just being of the scholarly class and that's all. I have read all of these books. He said the one who cried last night or whoever it is that cried last night that's the one who's of most benefit for the ummah. That's the one who has done the greatest impact for the ummah with their knowledge. What did we say yesterday? That knowledge in reality is this reverential fear of Allah in its entirety. And that's how you know it's true people. When you see that, that sign within them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala once again uses this word fiqh. In the Quran, they have hearts that they don't understand with. 
through which they do not attain fiqh. So this is uh, uh, And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to the meanings of iman, not the meanings of fatwa. He's not talking about their hearts don't understand fatwa. Their hearts don't understand iman. That's the fiqh that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to in the Quran. That fiqh and understanding. So they're synonyms in the Arabic language. And we're talking about the way that it was used in old times and in current times. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know, uh, they have more fear of you in their hearts than they do of Allah. They fear you more than they fear Allah. And why is that? That's because they are a people who don't have fiqh. They are a people who do not have understanding. If they understood things as they should be understood, they would fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And not other things. Now, so uh, uh, that's an, an indication that fiqh is something much deeper. It's not this uh, very specific usage that people in the time of Imam al Ghazali and even today, that it is a, a, a problem that people get focused on that and forget the real meaning behind it and what true fiqh is. Well, Su'ila Sa'ad ibn Ibrahim al Zuhri, ayyu ahl al Madinati afqa. So Sa'ad Ibrahim al-Zuhri was asked, which of the people of Medina are most knowledgeable, have the most fiqh? And he said, those of them who have the most taqwa of Allah. Those who have the most taqwa have the most fiqh. أشار إلى ثمرة الفقه. So here Imam al-Ghazali is saying is that he then shows the fruit, the result of understanding. So when a person has understanding, and it settles in their heart, then the result of that is they have more taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَالتَّقْوَى ثَمَرَةُ الْعِلْمِ الْبَاطِنِ دُونَ الْفَتَاوَى وَالْأَقْضِيَةِ And taqwa is a result, is a fruit of inward knowledge, not the knowledge of fatwa. If someone tells you the anatomy of a fatwa, which is very important, and we need ulama who are able to do that in our uh, cities and in our communities and so forth. That's very important. It's not to take away from the value of that. But if someone told you the anatomy of a fatwa and this ruling and that ruling and this hadith and that, one might be impressed with their depth of knowledge. How many people would, uh, would, would increase in fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How many people would increase in knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attributes and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's majesty and exaltedness. People of dhawq might, people who already have a spiritual basis and they're witnessing it from a particular lens, they might. But generally speaking, that's not the norm. Not to say that it's not important, but to say that that is understanding and religion and nothing else falls into that. As Imam al-Ghazali is going to say, people start to criticize those who are not specialists in that field. Oh, that person doesn't have fiqh. No. 
There is an outward fiqh and there's an inward fiqh. So this is the fruit and the result of inward knowledge. He said, should I inform you of the person who has understanding and has the entirety of understanding, complete understanding? In other words, someone who has deep and true understanding. They said, indeed, inform us, O Messenger of Allah. Someone who does not make people lose hope, despair of Allah's mercy. And he does not make them feel safe from Allah's decree and plan for them. So it's a balance. They don't despair, and they're also not on the extreme of uh, fall, having false hopes. They're in between. The hadith goes on. And he does not make them despair of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's assistance and support. And that person does not leave the Quran out of hopes of seeking something else. In other words, that this person realizes that all of knowledge is in the Quran. And when a person attains real knowledge and deep knowledge, then they never tire of the Quran. Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu used to do a khatam of the Quran in Salatul Witr every night. And he said if the hearts were pure, they would never be satiated. They would never get their fill of the Quran. They would continuously love to recite the Quran. And there were even some of the, the, the people of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they loved the Quran so much. And if you look at the stories of the Sahaba, that suffices you, but it continues. Where Al-Habib Muhammad bin Hassan, Jamal al-Layl, when he would recite the Quran, he would taste honey in his mouth. That the spiritual reality and sweetness of the Quran was so powerful that it had this manifestation where he could taste it in his mouth. And he would recite. Many of the Sahaba would do this as well. One verse of the Quran, sometimes one word of the Quran over and over and over and over all night long. And they would gain deeper and deeper and deeper knowledge. Never ending. It is the never ending ocean. So it's, oh, let me go read that book. Let me go read that book. If you really have knowledge, then you'll love the Quran and not prefer anything over the Quran. Yes, you need to seek knowledge from the books that explain the rulings of the Quran, but that a person doesn't, oh, there's this really obscure, that, let me go read that. The Quran has everything. So one of the Sahaba, he said that uh, pondering, contemplating the Quran and counting one's blessings as fiqh, as understanding. That kind of reflection, pondering the Quran, reflecting upon the Quran and reflecting upon the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you, that that in and of itself is gaining a deeper understanding of religion. I'm not saying that the word fiqh cannot be used for fatwa and outward rulings. But just that uh, in general, or that 
the the knowledge of fatawa follows and is a result of this kind of fiqh that people go into fatawa and these more specific rulings uh, after they've already taken their portion of this kind of fiqh the origin the original meaning of the word then they're in a they're in a place of safety then they're true fuqaha inward and outward and that is actually the most beneficial of scholars those are the the the, the warath al-anbiya those are the real inheritors of the prophets alayhim salam but it follows it not the other way around let me get, gain some fatawa and get that kind of intellectual knowledge and get ahead and then focus on the akhirah focus on purifying myself focus on increasing my reverence of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala i'll get to that later but if someone has that, and then they realize this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's law. These are Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's commandments. Believers need this in order to worship Allah properly, in order to draw closer to him, in order to elevate in ranks, in order to ward off harm and so forth. Then that's a beautiful thing. Their usage of this word related to the, the, the knowledge of the hereafter was more abundant. That was how they generally used that word in uh, previous times. Naam. So then when people started getting into this specialization, they started losing touch with the original meaning of the word. So when we understand fiqh, which relates to the ahkam al-zahira, and we understand that it is something that we need, as Sheikh Yahya was saying, that there is sharia, and tariqa and haqiqa that there is islam iman and ihsan that all of these things are interrelated and all of these things are necessary in order to draw closer to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but then we restore it to its proper place and we realize that having fiqh having real understanding is related to your connection to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the realization of ubudiyah. Real understanding is realizing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's majesty and exaltedness and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deserves of glorification and so forth. And the afqahul khalq, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the greatest of the fuqaha of all of creation, he sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam realized the ubudiyah and he said, I am not able to give you the praise, the comprehensive praise that you are deserving of, O oh Allah. You are as you praised yourself. That is true fiqh. Having the, the reality of tawheed. So that's the first term that Imam al-Ghazali uh, talks about restoring to its proper place. So it's not that you know obscure fatawa. It's understanding uh, uh, related to uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's majesty and the ilm tariq al-akhirah. That's the real fiqh. So then he moves on to the second term, uh, which is al-ilm, which is knowledge. وَقَدْ كَانَ يُطْلَقُ ذَلِكَ عَلَى الْعِلْمِ بِاللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَبِآيَاتِهِ وَأَفْعَالِهِ فِي عِبَادِهِ وَخَلْقِهِ This used to be used in reference to the knowledge of Allah the exalted and of his signs 
and of his actions with relation to his servants and his creation. This is al-ilm. The knowledge that you have, which we might often refer to today as ma'rifah, gnosis, the knowledge that one has of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his attributes and his actions and uh, uh, understanding the marvels of his creation, the way that he deals with his creation, jalla jalalu, and so forth. حَتَّى إِنَّهُ لَمَّا مَاتْ عُمَرْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالَ ابْنُ مَسْعُودًا رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ مَاتَ تِسْعَةُ أَعْشَارِ الْعِلْمِ such that when Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, this is real ilm. When Sayyidina Umar passed away, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. And they say that only people of virtue recognize the people of virtue. Only the people who have something recognize those who have something. Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, he memorized 70 surahs of the Quran. Who was his, who was his teacher? Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, directly from the source. He learned 70 surahs of the Quran. So what knowledge does Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud possess in his heart? What nur did he take from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? From man unzil alayhi al-Quran sallallahu wa sallam And he says, when Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab passes away, he says nine-tenths of knowledge of ilm has, has died. Nine-tenths of knowledge are gone with the death of Sayyidina Umar. So he said, of the knowledge, the, the reality of that knowledge. Someone then asked him, they said, how can you say that when there are eminent scholars, eminent companions, that there are great companions still amongst us who give out rulings and tell people the rulings of the sacred law. He said, that's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to knowledge of Allah Ta'ala. Those who know Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, those al-ilmu khashya kulluh. Knowledge is having this reverential fear of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, he had such a, a deep understanding that oftentimes he would prefer a particular uh, a particular response in a situation and revelation would come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala confirming that he was correct in his in his uh, inclination in what he felt was the correct way so what is knowledge become today people who are able to debate so you read, I read in this book that uh, Sheikh said, uh, Fulan said this and this. Oh, well, I read in that book and this book, this Sheikh wrote another book and so forth, that it is an opportunity to show who's more, who's, uh, you know, more well-read, who knows more, who's read more, who can uh, argue better, who can make the other person look like, oh, do you know this point? Oh, no, I haven't read that. Ah, oh, fuck the knowledge that he has. That person doesn't have, and so forth. And now with the internet, people still get sucked into that. Not even just the internet. There's an inclination of the nufus towards these kinds of things. So even though Imam al-Ghazali is telling us about his time, where the same dangers exist, and we'll talk about that, inshallah, when we talk about debate. Okay? Uh, so whoever is very good at, at uh, winning the argument, they say, that's the alim, that's the scholar. 
and he is very deep in his knowledge and so forth. And a person who does not debate with others, he's a weak. He doesn't know anything. Why? Because he doesn't get into the boxing match with other people and put them down and make them embarrassed and so forth. He's not even one of the scholars. But most of what has been narrated is about people who have knowledge of Allah, the glorious and majestic. His rulings, his actions, and his attributes. And uh, the, the Imam Al-Ghazali has in this book, we might not be able to get to it. We most likely won't be able to get to it. But he talks about how the four great imams of fiqh, and he includes Imam Sufyan al-Thawri, how those great imams of fiqh were also ulama al-akhirah. And he talks about their states with Allah and so forth. If Imam Malik, radiallahu anhu, hit the, the color of his face would change when the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa was mentioned because of how much he yearned for the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa they're ulama al-akhirah, but they were so, uh, they were so uh, influential and they were so firmly rooted in knowledge and that they had to establish that knowledge and preserve that knowledge, that that's what they became more well-known for. But they, they were already ulama al-akhirah, and their fiqh followed their real fiqh, the real meaning of the word. But anyway, this story is a beautiful story about the relationship between uh, uh, Imam al-Shafi'i and Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal and another one of the people of Allah whose name was Shayban al-Ra'i. So Shayban al-Ra'i is one of those people who avoided these kinds of situations. He didn't really talk to people a lot and get into these very uh, intellectual conversations about fiqh and so forth. So people thought he wasn't knowledgeable. But Imam al-Shafi'i knew. Imam al-Shafi'i knew the people of Allah. So one time Imam Ahmad ibn Muhammad saw him and out of goodwill said, you know, this person, he should seek more knowledge. Imam al-Shafi'i said, my advice is that you leave him alone. He said, no, but let me just ask him a few questions to see, is he really grounded in knowledge? So he said, I'd like to ask you some questions. He says, go ahead. So he says, if he, he gives him a particular scenario, if someone in the salah forgets this particular action, how do they make up for it in the salah? Then Shaybana Rai says, do you want me to answer according to our madhab or to your madhab? Is there two madhabs on the matter? He said, yes. He said, well, answer according to our madhab then. And he gave him the response of sujood as-sahu, forgetfulness, and related to that. And he gave him the shari outward ruling masterfully. Imam Ahmad al-Mahawah was impressed. So he said, so what is the answer in your madhab? He said, if the servant is forgetful before his master, he needs to make tawbah for, for having that bad adab in front of his Lord that he was forgetful in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal was amazed. He said, I have another question for you. So what's the other question? He asked him about zakat. So he said, do you want us to answer according to our madhab or your madhab? He said, answer according to our madhab. So he gave him the answer. If a person has this much crops, if a person has as much cattle and livestock, then this is the percentage that they give and so forth. He gave the shari answer. He said, what's the answer in your madhab? Shayban al-Ra'i said, the servant and all he owns belongs to his Lord. And Imam Ahmed al-Muhammad was bewildered. And Imam Shafi said, I told you, leave him alone. Right? That's the people of Allah. This is, and they're both people of knowledge. 
That's in no way to differentiate, but that there are people who don't appear that way, but they, they are. Now, وقد صار الآن يطلق على من لا يحيط من علوم الشرع بشيء سوى رسوم جدلية في مسائل خلافية and that now knowledge is attributed to people who actually don't even have a lot of knowledge but what do they know how to do? they know how to get into debates about contentious matters that are secondary oh, you know, if you want to get into aqidah this group said this and that group said that and this imam said this and he wrote about that and طيب, how do you make wudu? He might not be able to answer you. If you ask them about the basics of salah, he might not be able to answer you. And that exists today. People will start bringing up questions that the Sahaba, I remember when we were growing up, we were taught aqidah uh, in a way that was incorrect in our school. And we would go to our parents and we would ask them questions. And my parents, Allah blessed them. People who are practicing Muslims who grew up in much better environments than we grew up in. And they said, in our entire lives, we've never heard this question before. No one has ever asked us this question. Where are you getting this from? This is strange. And then, alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved us. And we realized, yes, it is strange to ask that question. But people like to get into that. There are people who like to get into these shirk, this, that, the other, and they don't pray. What's going to benefit you with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Or that they do takfir of other Muslims and they think, uh, this is the way that I'm getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look at the knowledge that I have. We have to be careful. So things have to be restored to the proper understanding and the proper balance. So that brings us to the third uh, technical term, which is tawheed. Right? And once again, tawheed uh, became used in the time of Imam al-Ghazali for uh, uh, theological debates and talking about, you know, the intellectual uh, proofs for the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and getting into those kinds of uh, uh, conversations that were really related. And in many cases, it became semantics and argumentation as well, right? And then uh, Imam al-Ghazali says, Tawheed is talking about uh, uh, theology and uh, ways of sort of debating about that and getting into shubuhat, getting into unclear matters and doubtful matters. The Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, many of these questions that people get really absorbed in, the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, did not have those same conversations. They did not ask the Prophet ﷺ those kinds of questions. Is that Tawheed? Is that Tawheed what you're talking about? That's Tawheed? Okay, if it's Tawheed, why didn't the Sahaba get into those kinds of details? Why didn't they speak about those kinds of things? They never even asked those kinds of questions. That's not really Tawheed. That's something else, and people call it Tawheed. Hmm? Or people will say, you know, we are upon the way of the Salaf al-Salih. Once again, that's another thing that we have to restore. Is that actually correct? Let's go back and understand that and put things into its proper place. And not just to, I'm right and you're wrong and let's fight about it. No, just because we're trying to get to the truth. Let's get to the truth. And even uh, what my understanding was, uh, my Sheikh, Sheikh Muhammad al he he told us that whenever people would ask about these 
contentious issues relating to Aqeedah, when they would ask Murabat al-Hajj, radiyallahu anhu, he would recite Surah al-Ikhlas. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Qul huwa Allahu ahad, Allahu samad, lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakun lawkufuan ahad. That's Aqeedah. Here's your Aqeedah. You don't need to go into all these other things. Focus on that. And, and, and there's clarity and safety in that. Naam. فأما ما يشتمل عليه القرآن من الأدلة الظاهرة التي تسبق الأذهان إلى قبولها في أول السمع فلقد كان ذلك معلوما للكل. So these people they get into these other things and they don't they lose touch with even the proofs that Allah subhanahu wa taala himself mentions about توحيد and about belief in Allah subhanahu wa taala and so forth. And Imam Al Ghazali says وكان العلم بالقرآن هو العلم كله. Knowledge of the Quran is the entirety of knowledge. Knowledge of the Quran. So don't disassociate these meanings that we're talking about from the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us of their meanings in the Quran. And for the Sahaba, Tawheed was an entirely different thing that these uh, theologians who like to debate and get into these uh, kinds of conversations, they wouldn't even understand. It's not semantics. <laughs> Tawheed is, is beyond that. And if they understood it, they did not internalize it. They don't have those realities within themselves. And it is for a person to see that all things are from Allah, glorious and majestic. من الله عز وجل رؤية تقطع التفاته عن الأسباب والوصائد with such a, a, an understanding that it will make a person become cut off from looking at other kinds of means and intermediary things that in reality it's from Allah سبحانه وتعالى فلا يرى الخير والشر إلا منه جل جلاله so then that person only sees all good and 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 bad that comes their way from Allah سبحانه وتعالى نعم what is what, what what is Sayyidina Jibreel alayhi salam? Ask the Prophet alayhi salam, what is Iman? And tu'min billahi wa malaikatihi that you believe in Allah and his angels wa kutubihi and his books wa rusulihi, his messengers wal yawm al-akhir and the last day wa bil qadari khayrihi wa sharrih and with the divine decree, the good and the evil, the good and the bad. Believing that, that that's part of Iman. And this is a noble station of which one of the fruits is trusting in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Imam al-Ghazali says, we'll speak about that in the book on tawakkul in the last quarter of the Ihya. Another of its fruits of having that kind of tawheed, it's that you, uh, you refrain from complaining about creation and complaining to creation. You refrain from complaining. Ah, this person didn't do this for me. That person did that for me. How many people are stuck in those kinds of things? They can't get beyond that. You have to move on. You accept it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a wisdom in it. There may be benefits that you will never know, but you accept it and you move forward. And if there's lessons to be learned from it, you learn those lessons. It doesn't mean that everything is easy and good, but that you, you stop complaining about things and blaming others. One time, one of the Salihin, he had a need. And the need got to such a point that he had to uh, uh, reach out to someone 
to fulfill that need. Even in that case, he did not lose sight of the fulfiller of needs is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in reality. So he said, this such and such is my need. If you are able to fulfill it, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has subjugated your heart to do so. And I thank you. And if you are not able to fulfill it, Allah has not decreed it. And I forgive you. I, uh, you know, I'm not going to hold it against you. That's the, the realization. In reality, who's the giver? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and uh, uh, you know, letting go of being angry with people. And being content and accepting Allah's decree in one's life and so forth. So the Imam al-Ghazali speaks a bit more about this term, Tawheed. So he says it has two outward uh, two outward shells. It has two layers on its outward. The first is that you say, La ilaha illallah. And this is a Tawheed that uh, shows that a person believes in the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and lets go of a multiplicity uh, of believing in a multiplicity of gods and so forth. Um, but, a, you know, a munafiq, a hypocrite can also this, say the same thing. So there's a deeper level as well. That's the level that for us, we do not judge people beyond that. We, Allah knows what's in their hearts, but a munafiq can say, la ilaha illallah. So that's not enough in and of itself. He says, then the second layer is that internally a person has no uh, contradiction and nothing against the meaning of la ilaha illallah. That the meaning of la ilaha illallah has settled in their heart. That's a deeper, that's a second layer. Okay. And then he says the third layer, which is the core, which is the core, that a person sees everything from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's Tawheed. And the funny thing is, people today, Tawheed, Tawheed, Tawheed. I don't know if they've gotten past the first layer. And then they'll accuse the people of the core of Tawheed who have tasted the essence of Tawheed. They'll accuse them of things like, La ilaha illallah. That's strange things in this world. But this is Tawheed. Uh, Moving on. The one who is a person of Tawheed. At the end of this section, the one who is a person of Tawheed, he is the one who does not see anything except the one, the real. The Prophet said in a uh, Sahih hadith narrated by Bukhari and Muslim. The truest word spoken by a poet is the statement of Labid. Everything other than Allah is batil, is vain. And one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Haq. And the people of the realities of Tawheed, they have a, an inclination. They, 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 love, they love all of Allah's names. But they refer to this name because Allah is Al-Haq, the real, Jalla Jalalu, because that's what they're witnessing. And that a person only turns the essence of their being only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's not just Tawheed, it's not just saying it alone with your tongue, but 
with the entirety of your being, the reality of that has permeated in your trust in Allah, in your turning to Allah, in your realization that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees your inner thoughts, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, will hold us accountable and so forth. Now. And that the place that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gazes upon you is the heart. So this is the mind. This is the core and the source of Tawheed. This is where Tawheed uh, uh, rests within the human being. The fourth term is At-Tadkir. <clears throat> and here Imam Al-Ghazali once again highlights some of the things that are he has seen and witnessed. And the same problems exist today. We won't be able to go into it in great detail. But he says that tadkir here, reminders, is essentially what we could call in our day and age infotainment. Sheikh Yahya was talking about real knowledge. When you're focusing on real knowledge, when you're focusing on those realities that could really change people's lives. And some people are very comfortable in their lives. They don't want things to change. They might not want to listen to you. But when people find strange stories and different uh, avenues of getting people's attention, and then they think that, oh, I'm just reminding them about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and so forth, then uh, it really needs to be put to the test. Is this real knowledge? Is this real tadkir? Is this a real reminder? Or is it something that the nafs is using against you to get attention and so forth? So he criticizes four areas. One is storytellers. And he doesn't say storytelling is bad. But he says that people start to make up these kind of uh, wild stories and sometimes lies that are interesting and get people's attention. Once there was a man who did this and he didn't follow the sunnah and he started growing horns. People, things like that are said. It's like, give me your sanad. Like we need, we need to do some hadith authenticity here about what you, what the story that you just told. But when people don't have a real sense of fear of Allah, a real understanding of the way that knowledge is conveyed, these things start to creep in, right? So uh, uh, that was one of the things that the Sahaba didn't like. Now, one time Sayyidina Ali, radiallahu anhu arda, he, uh, he uh, did not allow storytellers to sit in the masjid in Basra. He, he prevented them. No storytellers. He used to remind people. He used to do tadkir, real tadkir, in the masjid. He didn't tell him, you have to leave. He allowed him to stay and to remind people. Because Al-Hasan Al-Basri would talk about knowledge of the hereafter. And he would remind people of death. And he would inform them of the uyub al-nafs, the flaws of the nafs. And the pitfalls of certain good deeds to be careful of that and the dangers of the shaitan. And he would remind people of Allah's blessings. Those are the things that he would talk about. And how the servant falls short in showing gratitude to Allah. And he would teach people about the baseness of the dunya and the greatness of the hereafter and preparation for it. So Sayyidina Ali allowed him to continue reminding people, and so forth. So this is praiseworthy, a tadkir. 
من قصص الأنبياء عليهم السلام and the Quran is full of stories Imam al-Ghazali says if the story is about the stories of the prophets peace be upon them and even then from the Quran that we have a sense of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us about that story and Allah tells us in the Quran that these are the best of stories and that we have everything we need of the reminders that benefit us with Allah in those stories then uh, uh, and the things that relate to their religion and the one telling the story has a sound narration in the way that he tells the story. So I see Imam al-Ghazali says, I see no problem with that. Another area that he is critical of is people who tell, uh, who use poetry. And he says, and this is one of the things that also is beginning to become more prevalent. People who talk about love poetry. But they talk about love poetry to people who are have not overcome base desires. Love Allah. And, oh, I'm, they're not thinking about Allah. Think about something else. And you, you know, talk about poetry and you talk about the wine and the this and the that. To people who are not actually thinking about the reality of those meanings that maybe that poetry in and of itself is referring to. It is pure and blessed and good. But you get into those things and it reaffirms people's uh, uh, you know, preconceived nefs inclinations. So that Imam al-Ghazali says you have to be careful of that. But if you talk about the, the poetry of Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib, the poetry of Imam al-Shafi, of the great Imams, and if you look at what they focus on, they have these indications of those realities. And some of the great Arifin uh, speak of it in ways that really talk about love and, and, and certain kind of similitudes and metaphors and so forth. But even that has to be used wisely. You could get a room full of people who are not interested in the akhirah and they would love you for talking about this poetry. Why? What's the benefit? Then you talk about death. Oh, we don't want to hear about that. How are you going to have that love until you go through death? So that's what Imam al-Ghazali is referring to. He also uh, warns people from the people who tell stories and tadkir using these high claims of high realities, talking about high meanings, talking about subtle indications and claiming to have understandings that one does not have, bringing people back to the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There is enough beautiful indications and subtleties and realities and miracles. It doesn't mean that we have to cut people off from the history of the tradition. But everything stems from there. The Quran has these beautiful, subtle meanings that we can go into that immediately give life to the heart, immediately help a person on the path to the akhirah, and so forth. There's so much to say, but uh, we'll end, inshallah, with uh, hikmah, with wisdom. So then Imam al-Ghazali here, he says, in his time, the hakim was someone who was essentially uh, a doctor or even a poet or someone who would, an, an, an uh, astronomer or an astrologer even. That's what they say. Oh, Hakim, this person has hikmah because they understand you know, either language or medicine. And Imam al-Ghazali says, hikmah in reality is what brings you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah says in the Quran, وَمَنْ يُؤْتَ الْحِكْمَةَ فَقَدْ أُوْتِيَ خَيْرًا كَثِيرًا Whoever is given hikmah, 
has been given abundant good, has been given abundant good. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Kalimatun min al-hikmati yata'allamuha rajulu khayrun lahu min al-dunya wa ma fiha. A word, a statement of wisdom that a man learns is better for him than the world and all it contains. So then Imam al-Ghazali ends, he summarizes and he says, فَقَدْ عَرَفْتَ الْعِلْمَ الْمَحْمُودَ وَالْمَذْمُومَ وَمَثَارَ الْإِلْتِبَاسِ So now you know praiseworthy and blameworthy knowledge and why there is a confusion and why there is some deception. وَإِلَيْكَ الْخِيَرَةُ فِي أَنْ تَنْظُرَ لِنَفْسِكَ And now you can choose for yourself. فَتَقْدَدِيَ بِالسَّلَفِ This is what he's getting to. Follow the salaf. <laughs> Follow the, the Prophet ﷺ and the pious predecessors. This once again does not rid us of the rich tradition. But our connection to the Prophet ﷺ and the salaf has been served by the true people of knowledge in every generation. If it wasn't the case, then why would the Prophet ﷺ say that in every generation, in every century, Allah sends a reviver who revives the religion for people, connects people back to all of the connections back to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And letting go of the rope of deception and delusion and following their examples. Because all of the sciences, the knowledge that the pious predecessors were pleased with, that they loved, it has become, uh, people have, you know, left it. And most of what people have really absorbed, become absorbed in our innovations. And it has come in an authentic narration from the Prophet that Islam started as something strange and it will return to being strange as it first began. So blessed are the strangers. So who are the ghuraba? Who are the ghuraba? Who are the strangers? They're not people who are just antisocial or strange in their interactions. No, there's a meaning that they are those who rectify what has become corrupted, what people corrupted from my sunnah. And they bring to life what, has, what people have caused to die from my sunnah. So all of this is coming back to uh, the original meanings and the original benefits. And when we're able to do that, then we restore religious terminology. And in the restoration of religious terminology, we restore people's connection to the truth and to benefit and to ilm tariq al-akhirah. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabi ajma'in wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Yes. The fourth one. So we said poetry. Uh, and then he says, uh, No, let's see here. I'm going to go to the beginning where he mentions that. My apologies. Yeah, he calls it طامات. طامات is another form of these kind of uh, claims or when people start to uh, 
interpret things in a way that goes against the literal meaning. Right? So people start to get these hidden meanings that contradict the outward meanings. So they start to come with uh, interpretations that are interesting, but they're false. That's called tamah. 